Redeemer went to work in the Gambia, West Africa. Uh, today, we're going to share some of those stories. Uh, we're going to celebrate what God's doing. We're excited to, to tell you about that trip. Um, God's doing some really amazing and some really great things in the Gambia. Uh, we had the privilege of spending the week with some amazing Christians there, um, specifically at a school called Servants of the Word, a Bible training school. We got to know the students really well. We got to know the Christians there really well. Uh, and we discovered that they are passionate about Jesus. Uh, we were inspired by their passion. We were challenged by it. Um, and as we, we spent time with them, we, we saw that it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that draws out that passion in them. Um, the gospel has power to change lives in the Gambia, in Croydon, across the world. Um, and so we, we'll be sharing some of those stories in a little bit. But we, wanna, we, do, we do want to take some time to look at God's word. Um, the gospel is good news. That's what that word means. It means good news. It's good news about what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his resurrection. Um, the same Jesus who's at work in many of our lives here is the same Jesus that's, that's at work in the Gambia and in Russia and in Thailand and North Korea, all over the world. And it's amazing um, to meet Christians from across the world and see this unique bond this brotherhood, this sisterhood that we have with them. So we, we want to share some of those stories, but first we want to look at um, some things out of God's Word. We got to sit in on a Bible class in the Gambia at Servants of the Word, the school. And one of the days they were working through uh, the book of Romans. Um, that's what they're going to be in this term. So we got to sit under some Bible teaching. And I just want to share with you some thoughts um, from, the, from Paul's introduction to the book of Romans. So let's turn to um, page 939 in your Bibles. We're going to look at verses one to 17. Paul, an ancient Christian from, from many, many centuries ago, um, had never been to Rome, and yet he had a, a growing friendship and relationship with some of the Christians there. And so he was preparing to make a trip to Rome, and he wrote this grand letter, a fabulous letter. It's called the Book of Romans. And verses 1 to 17 are, are, are an introduction to some of the themes and some of the truths that he's going to be sharing. So let's read this together, starting at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, uh, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was, co as, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is, re- is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Wow, such, such, such good news, such good words here. The, the Apostle Paul, an early Christian, is writing to these believers, and he is passionate about Jesus. He's passionate about the good news of the gospel, what Jesus has done. He says he is eager to tell others about this gospel. So there are four things that I want to look at here that that I think we can pull out from from this text. Why, Why is it that Paul is so eager to tell not only the Romans, the Christian Romans, about the gospel, but people across the world? Why is he so eager? Why is he so passionate? There's four things. The gospel is, the first one is, the gospel is historical. It comes from history. It's connected to real events, real people. It's rooted in history. It's good news about something real and true that has happened. In verses 1 to 7, Paul gives us uh, just a brief summary of the gospel's history. It's what God has done through the real, the actual life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says the gospel was promised in history. It's God's plan. It's not a human idea, thank goodness, because we would just mess it up. This plan didn't come from humans. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's God's plan from the very beginning of history. God is the source. Verse 2 says, This gospel, which he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Paul looks back to the Old Testament and he says these ancient prophets were announcing this good news. They were announcing the promises of God. They were looking forward to what God was promising to do. The very beginning of history, the first humans, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They messed it all up for us. Uh, They rebelled against God and they brought sin into the world. And we follow in that pattern. Not only did they mess it up, but we messed it up too. They rebelled against God. They brought sin into the world. And they brought God's wrath, his judgment upon creation and upon all of humanity. And because of sin, humans are cut off from this life that God promised, the life that God wants to bring. But God is working in history to bring salvation and hope and a glorious, wonderful future to God's people. So the writings of the Old Testament point forward to that plan. It's historical. And in fact, all the books and texts of the Bible work together to form a unified story that points to Jesus and God's salvation for all humanity. As you read through the, through the history of the Bible, through each text, each section, each genre, they point like, like a prism that kind of takes these colors and then refracts them. We see that all of it is working together to show us that Jesus is the point of history. God's salvation is happening, and it's historical. It comes from God, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Jesus is the center of the good news. Look at verses 3 and 4. This gospel, this good news, it concerns his son, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul reminds us that Jesus is the center of the gospel, but he is connected historically to these promises, to the promises that come from King David and his family line, 
These promises can even be traced further back to Abraham, that ancient believer. God give, gave him promises about what he was going to do in history. So God promised that an, that an anointed king from the family line of David would one day come and save God's people. And Jesus is that king. And so Paul reminds us, Jesus is that king. He's fully human. He's a man. And thank goodness for that because, because he's a human, he could die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Because he's human, he can complete the sacrifice that was needed for our sins. So Jesus is a man, but he's more than a man, if you, if you caught it. Jesus, from the line of David, is a human man, but he's more than that. He is divine. He's God himself. Fully human, fully man, but also fully God. Look at verse 4. Paul says that Jesus, by his resurrection, was declared to be the Son of God. This is a wonderful title. This is a title that means that Jesus has a unique one-of-a-kind, supernatural connection or relationship to God the Father. It's a relationship that no one else has. Jesus himself claimed to be equal to God, and so this title, Son of God, points to Jesus' divinity. And his resurrection proves that he's the Son of God. It proves that God accepted his death as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so the the resurrection is an historical event. It points back to history but it's a moment in history. It's, it's an historical event. It was, uh, it was, there were eyewitnesses. People saw the resurrection. This thing really happened, and it changed the world. In our university years, both Katie and I spent some time researching uh, the evidence for the Christian faith. I looked at archaeology for a few months, and Katie looked at the resurrection. She decided that Christianity depends on the truth of the resurrection. If it didn't happen then Christianity is just basically nonsense. But if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then we should just give our lives to this guy. This Jesus who has risen from the dead, that changes everything. So she spent time looking at the resurrection. Was it true? Could it actually have happened? And during her research, she became convinced that the resurrection is true. It's fact. It really happened. Jesus did rise from the dead. You should ask her about it sometime because it changed her life, as well as Christians throughout the centuries. So both her and I, our faith was strengthened as we looked at the history of God's people, as we looked at the history of Jesus and the gospel. The gospel is historical. It's something that happened in history. There's promises, there's prophecies. It's connected to the history because God is in control of history. So we have reason to believe it. It affects us in real life. It changes the way we live, and it changes the way we spend eternity. And Paul is excited about this. It's historical. But it's also relational. In verses 8 to 14, Paul talks about the relationship he has with the Christians in Rome. But before he does that, in verse 6, he says, You, Christians, you are called to belong to who? Jesus Christ. We are his people. First of all, this gospel is relationship, but it's relationship to God through Jesus It's about a relationship to Jesus. It changes everything. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we see ourselves, but it changes the relationship we have with God. In verse 7, he says, you who are loved by God and called to be saints. The gospel gives us a new relationship. When we come to know who Jesus is, when we are saved from our sins, we are given a new identity, a new connection, a new way to live. 
but a new way to understand God, a new way to relate to him. So then in verses 8 to 14, Paul works that out. It's not only a relationship between us and God, but it's a relationship with each other. We see that the gospel changes our relationship with others. Did you notice the way that Paul talks about these Christians in Rome? And he, he's never met them. He hasn't been there yet. But he says, I mention you always in my prayers. I long to see you. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Paul loves them. He has a genuine concern for them. He has a growing friendship and a relationship with them. He cares about them. The gospel changes the way we love. It changes our relationships. I mean, think about this. We love because God first loved us. We can serve each other because Jesus first served us. Well, we can be generous because God is generous to us. We can forgive others because God forgives us. What God has done through Jesus, it changes real life. It changes the decisions we make. It changes the way we live. And it changes our relationships. Paul sees that Christians across the world are now connected to each other in a beautiful, mysterious, supernatural relationship. We are now family. So when our team showed up in the Gambia, many of these Christians we had never met before, but there's an instant connection because we are bound together in eternity as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's amazing. You can show up in every country in the world there might be fewer Christians in some countries, but you can show up in every country and you can find an immediate connection with brothers and sisters because of what God has done through Jesus. It's amazing. The gospel changes our relationships. Let's look again at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, let me say it another way, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wants to be with them in person. He wants to see them face to face. And he says, I want to encourage you in your faith in person. I want to see you. I want to shake hands. I want to hug you. I want to sit around a table and share a meal. That's his motivation. He wants to serve. He wants to teach. He wants to encourage. He wants to bless, but he wants to do it in person. Paul knows an amazing truth about, about God's people, about God's family. When we are together, we encourage each other. There's something that, ha that happens when we are together. And it's not one-sided. It's not all about leaders and pastors. It's not all about those who have certain skills or talents. It's, it's not one-sided. We all have something to offer each other. Paul says we will be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. You have as much to give to me as I have to you. That's an amazing truth. You, each of you, have as much to give to me as I have to give to you. That will change the way that we see our time together. That will change the way that, the way that we make choices about our week and where we go and who we hang out with. We all have something important to offer to each other because God's spirit is at work in us. We are going to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, the opposite can be true, too. I mean, there's sin. I mean, we're humans. We, we can think of all the examples of how relationships go wrong. But think about the positive side of what God offers. In Christ, we all have something amazing and truthful to offer to each other. And that's beautiful. That should change the way we think about relationships and friendships. It should change the way that we spend our time. 
We saw this in our recent, in our trip to the Gambia. Our goal was definitely to serve them, to encourage them, the Christians there, the missionaries. That was our goal. We just wanted to serve. We didn't want to be a burden. We wanted to go and help and encourage and pray. But all throughout the week, we found that we were being encouraged, maybe more so than we could encourage them. We were, we were encouraged by their commitment to prayer. Every time they were going places, they were praying about their, their car journey or, or when they were walking to somewhere where they were going. They, they were praying about their meals. They were praying about different events that were happening. They were consistently praying. We were challenged by that, encouraged by that. We were encouraged by their sacrifice for the gospel. These students who are at the training school, they are giving up so much to be at that school. The Christians in general are giving up a lot. Gambia is a predominantly Muslim culture. It can be really difficult to be a believer. And so we were encouraged by their faith and their sacrifice. We were also encouraged by their hospitality. They love to give. They love to serve. Uh, when we would share a meal around these, uh, these bowls, uh, four or five people sitting around a bowl, that they want to make sure you have enough to eat. They're often taking some of their portion and pushing it to you. They love hospitality. They love to make sure that you're taken care of. We were challenged by that. At Monday night, we're going to sit around some Gambian bowls. I, 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 brought home, I brought home some massive Gambian bowls. We're going to try it out. But we were encouraged by their faith, way more than we encouraged them. Face-to-face, in person, is beautiful. It's powerful. It's supernatural. Thank goodness for technology that we can Skype and do crazy FaceTime video chats and email. Those things are great. Use those. But Paul is showing us there is something important about meeting face-to-face, in person, often, regularly, when you can. Make time for it. Make space for it in your week. You know, some Christians wonder why it's important to show up at church regularly. There are many reasons for that, but consider this. You never know when God is going to speak to you. And and God mainly speaks through us, through people. You never know which Sunday God is going to use someone else to challenge you, to encourage you, to, to share with you the answer to something you've been praying about. You can't predict it. You don't know when God is going to speak to you in a new way. But the reverse is all, or the opposite is also true. You never know which Sunday God is going to use you in a moment to encourage someone, challenge someone, pray with them, serve them. You showing up might be the thing that someone needed and you couldn't predict it. You didn't know when it was going to happen. There's many other reasons to show up regularly at church. But if our relationships are this important, if we really do have something to offer, if we really do mutually encourage each other, then we should be excited to show up to church, even when it's hard, even when our week has been terrible. This is a place where we come to serve each other, and you never know when God is going to connect you in the right moment. It can happen. And this could be the Sunday that, that maybe today there's a, there's a conversation you need to have with somebody. Or maybe today is the day that someone's going to have a, a, a supernatural, God-appointed conversation with you. You never know when God is going to use you or someone else to change your life, to impact you, to transform it. The gospel changes our relationships. Should we, we should prioritize that. I encourage you, if you're not part of our, our growth groups, these are groups that meet weekly in homes to share life together, talk, fellowship, eat some food, and then read God's word together. If you're not a part of one of those, find a way. Move things, move things around in your life. If you want to be a part of a, a growth group, fill out one of our connection cards. Um, just mark on there, I'm interested in growth groups. For those of you who are part of growth groups, embrace it. What a gift we have to share life together, to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to live this out. So the gospel's 
relationships. It's about relationships with God, with Jesus, and with each other. But I want to show you something else. The gospel is global. I don't know if you saw that here. It's good news for everyone. It's global. It's for everyone. Every nation, all across the world. It's something that everyone needs to hear. At the end of verse 5, Paul says, God is saving people. Why? For the sake of his name among all the nations. Verse 16, salvation is for everyone who believes. God is glorified when people are saved. That's the goal of the gospel, that God would get the glory when people are saved from their sins. His plan all along has been to save people from all languages, all nations, all all people groups, all tribes, uh, all across the world through all eternity. That's his plan because God is glorified when, when people come to him in faith and they're saved from their sins and they're welcomed into his kingdom. God, he looks good. He's glorified. His name is proclaimed. That's God's goal, to fill the earth, to fill eternity with people who love and serve him because they've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So that's why we go out into Croydon. This is where God has placed you and I. There are people all over this city who don't know him. They don't know that God wants to save them from their sins. They don't know about this new life that Jesus offers them. This is why we support work outside of the UK, especially in the Gambia. There are people all over the world who need to hear this good news because it changes things, changes lives, changes eternity. And Paul is excited about this. He's eager to proclaim this news. Paul says, I am eager, verse 15, I am eager to preach this gospel to you. Also, who are you who also who are in Rome. Even as Christians, we need this good news. We need, we need to be reminded of this. Yeah, there's that moment when you become a Christian, but the rest of your life is ordered around the gospel. The gospel changes the way you see every moment, every decision. So even though he's going to these Christians, he wants to remind them of the gospel. The, the book of Romans is all about what is the gospel. He's eager to preach it. Why? The answer comes in verses 16 to 17. So here's the last point. The gospel is powerful. It's powerful. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He's not embarrassed by it. He's proud of it. He's excited by it. It exhilarates him. It fills him with joy and passion. Now, of course, there's reasons someone could be ashamed or embarrassed of the gospel. You can probably think of some. Um, I can think of some people who are convinced that their way of life uh, is the right way. Uh, There's people who are following other religions and they think their religion has it all figured out. I meet many people who are convinced that science alone can figure things out. And so many people choose not to believe Jesus in the gospel. They see Christianity as weak or unintelligent or backwards or just wrong. So they dismiss it. Paul, in his time, he was mocked. People dismissed him. They ignored him. Christians throughout the centuries, people look at us and say, ah, that's just foolishness. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to follow that. Their people are, Christians are ignored. They're dismissed. They, people see the message of the gospel and they choose to believe something else that they think is better. 
So that, so they can be embarrassed by it. They can be ashamed of it. And Christians can, can look at that and say, well, maybe I've got this wrong. We can be ashamed or embarrassed. But there's another reason I've seen, um, Christians especially, um, they can be ashamed of the gospel because following Jesus isn't easy. The gospel doesn't promise to make our life easier. Following Jesus is costly. We have to give up our own agendas. We have to give up our pride, our sins. And then there's that whole part where Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. And Christians can begin to follow Jesus thinking he's promising prosperity and health and wealth and all these things. Then they realize, oh, wait, the Christian life isn't easy. And people can become ashamed of that, embarrassed by that. And they can pull away from God, turn their back on him. There's many reasons we can be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Paul could be ashamed of it, but he says, no, I'm not ashamed of it. Not at all. I'm proud of it. I'm excited about this. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's powerful. It changes lives. It changes eternities. And this power comes from God. And I love this. The the Greek word for power, um, it's dunamis, or, or you could say dynamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's the power of God. Paul had used the word power earlier when he talked about the resurrection. I mean, raising somebody from the dead is God's power, but here salvation is God's power. And Paul himself had experienced this. Paul, earlier in his life, had been this Jewish leader. He was convinced that Christianity was a false religion, and he was convinced that he could earn God's love and God's favor by following all these religious rules and traditions. And then he met Jesus, and his life was completely turned upside down. His life was changed. The gospel has power to forgive people of their sins, and it has power to transform lives. I've met so many people who, who through the work of Jesus in their life, through the Holy Spirit, they've overcome addictions. They've overcome greed and racism. It can transform your everyday life, and it transforms your eternity. It changes where you're going to end up when you die. God's power is at work in the gospel. So Paul says, of course I'm not ashamed about, about this. I mean, look at the victory. Jesus defeated sin and death. Look at the message of the gospel. It's the only message that can guarantee complete forgiveness of sins. It's the only message that guarantees eternal life. It's the only message that meets the needs of the human heart. And that's good news. When a person meets Jesus, they are given the righteousness of Jesus. Their record is wiped clean. And now they are free to live this new life. As Paul describes it, it's a life of faith. The life of faith where we continually, day by day, moment by moment, trust God. So let me tell you about um, a man who I think is passionate about the gospel, who, who kind of lived this, lives this out. This is Pastor Modu. He's in the Gambia. Uh, he grew up in a Muslim family. Um, he, was, he, he was a Muslim. He, he was devoted to the Islamic faith. And then he met Jesus. Someone shared the gospel with him, and it changed him. And then his life became different. He decided he wanted to follow Jesus and he was, no, he was not going to be ashamed about it. And through, through a series of events, and some of our team will share some of these stories, Pastor Modu started up a ministry called House of Wisdom that helps um, people who have converted from Islam to Christianity. It helps them uh, overcome the challenges. But Pastor Modu is filled with joy and faith and passion. Uh, he lives in a culture where day by day he's going to face challenges because he's not a Muslim. But he's still filled with passion and he's eager to share the gospel with those who don't know it. Because the message is important. The message is um, life-changing. 
So, so let's finish the, the, our time here in Romans. The gospel is rooted in history. It's something that happened. And this event changes history, changes our lives. It was promised by God from the beginning of time. We see it predicted and lived out in the prophets. And then we see it lived out physically in the life of Jesus, his death, his life, his resurrection. And that's the good news of the gospel. And Paul is eager to preach it because it changes lives. It changes our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and this message goes out throughout all the world. It's a global message, and so Paul's excited about it. He's eager to preach it. So how does Paul want us to respond? How how could we respond to to this introduction to this letter? Look at verse 17, the the end of this introduction. Paul says, the righteous shall live by faith. That's just another way of saying the righteous will live out an enthusiastic, obedient life devoted to Jesus and his commands, his way of life. We should be amazed at what Jesus has done. And so we should then respond by following him, living out his ways, living out his rules, his commands, because they're good. The righteous will live by faith. It's a life of continual trust in God, looking at what God has done and saying, okay, okay, God, every moment, every minute. How does the gospel inform this moment? How does it shape me? How does it change me? We should be amazed by what the gospel has done. It should form us. It should motivate us to then look across this world and say, who doesn't know this good news? How do we share it with them? It's a message for those who don't believe. Paul is saying, will you respond to this message? Will you respond to this Jesus? For those of us who do believe, will you again be amazed by the good news. Will you again be amazed by Jesus? And so Paul has this amazing introduction to the gospel in his book of Romans. He wants us to be amazed. And he wants us to then order our lives around this so that we will be the righteous who live by faith, moment by moment, dependent on God, looking to Jesus, looking to his word, so that we can see others brought into this relationship with God, brought in as brothers and sisters into the Christian family. Um, so, so that's the introduction to Romans. Paul's eager to teach the gospel, to preach it. Are we? I think there's so many reasons here for us to do that. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to spend some time sharing um, just a few brief stories about the Gambia. So let me pray. God, we thank you so much for um, this gospel, this good news, this work that Jesus has done. God, from the very beginning of time, you knew us as humans that apart from you, we can do nothing. You knew that we were going to become children of wrath, children of sin. Our our first parents, Adam and Eve, did this. You knew that all of us would follow the same pattern. And yet, God, you didn't leave us. You didn't abandon us to our sins. You didn't um, leave us to, to sit under your wrath and your punishment. You provided a great solution that's predicted all through history. The prophets pointed to it, and it's the man Jesus, fully God, fully human, who lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins and was raised from the dead. And Paul, this early Christian, saw that message, saw that good news, and it changed him. And now he's eager to see that message change others across the world. God, help us to be convinced of this truth. God, help us to, to, be, to be better at our relationships with each other, to forgive, to serve, to be eager to be together. God, help us to then take this message globally. It's a message that's based on your power, your desire to save people all over. So God, thank you that Jesus saved us from our sins. We thank you that the Holy Spirit goes with us now. And God, you're our Father. We are your children. We love you. Help us to be amazed in this moment at the good news of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, our team was made up of, of six people. 
Um, I'm going to just briefly call them up in, in no particular order. We're going to share just a few thoughts. So um, I saw Anthony over there. Anthony, come on up. You can kind of find a way to talk into there. So, so two questions. First one, um, just share with us your um, favorite memory, um, briefly your favorite memory, favorite experience from the week in the Gambia. First time I've ever been in a classroom when we were first day, we we're looking at Romans, and then the next day it was looking at the Trinity. The next, and <laughs> <laughs> spending an hour going through and then taking notes. So I was so excited, and the, the fact that uh, what the students are being taught is from the Bible, from God's Word, so that was exciting. Yeah. I remember daily we were debating: should we go? Should we stay in class, or should we go and do? Um, labor, so do work. And then there was the that debate. And we all wanted to go and do labor because we were there to serve the, the, mm. the students, we were there to serve the missionaries, but at the same time, the classroom was so, yeah, so yeah. great. So, yeah. Cool. And then just real quick, um, f- f- from what you saw, how, how is God at work um, in the Gambia? Um, so the fact that, again, you spoke about it, uh, the fact that the gospel is global, um, of the 10 students, I think five are from different countries, uh, mm. not just Gambia. So there was a couple from Liberia, uh, Liberia, a couple from Sierra Leone, and then, yeah, and then Guinea-Bissau. So cool. just seeing God working, not in just Gambia, but all Definitely. over cool. the world. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, right. Anthony. Great. Yeah. I'll say a little bit more in a moment if, if you're unfamiliar with what we were doing, but uh, the Servants of the Word is a Bible training school that we, we have a partnership with. So we're uh, Roman. Do you, want, do you want to share some stories? Yeah, come on up, Roman. Um, and, then, and after Roman, Andrew, so be, be thinking. Yeah. Um, so again, s- uh, same questions. Share with us. Uh, I know this is really hard, but just one, one, one of your favorite memories um, about the trip. Uh, okay. So uh, they were expecting us, uh, and their goal was to beat us in volleyball. <laughs> they were training, and... <laughs> Well, they didn't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. We played, we played mixed teams. But the interesting thing is that, is that when they play, and there's a, there's a kind of an argument, like, who, who scores the point or who's going. Uh, there's always, like, this phrase, like, oh, playing God's way. So we're not arguing. We're just, we just giving up our point. Fine. You go. You go trying again. And... Yeah. Um, I know it's maybe, it, we might feel like it's a small thing, but yeah. also when people go to church and then when they, by the time they leave the door, they forget and they don't change the way how they live. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. those people, we see that actually the, the Bible study that they do, it permeates their lives. Mm-hmm. So in every single little thing they do, they actually thinking about who is God and how they should uh, kind of go uh, about around him. Like the goes, God is everywhere and sees what they oh, do. And also speak with many of them. So many of them have these plans to carry it over. So once they finish the school, mm. they will go, they will be missionaries, they will go to their village, they will do things to, to spread the mm. kingdom. Cool. So. And then just real quick, um, how did you see God at work in the Gambia? Uh, well, <laughs> it's uh, hard to pinpoint one yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. But... Um, I guess if if going back to the wisdom of uh, House of Wisdom Ministry, where the pastor mother was, so the, how it was founded it was amazing. So, he, so it was it was 
a chain of different circumstances which which just chained together so um, no one shared the vision with with pastor modu he started doing this he was praying then suddenly some people from europe appeared and the god told them that they need to invest some money beforehand and then how they met and how the whole school was funded and is built up and how and the muslims of the area they decided okay we're gonna as soon as we see the church we're gonna disassemble it we're gonna go come and break the buildings yeah. and and the buildings that they built they didn't look like church so in the end they just didn't break anything so it was it was funny like all the circumstances small ones pieces they come together and yeah. independently to and then if you see the big picture, you see that actually God planted yeah, this ministry and, and kind of brought it up. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Cool. Thanks, Roman. Yeah, very good. Andrew, come on up. And then uh, after Andrew, we'll, we'll have Sam. Cool. So Andrew, uh, if he's unfamiliar to you, um, he's a brother in Christ, but he's not from Redeemer. So God just loves to do these crazy things. We, uh, we took on um, a sixth member of the team. He's from Dun- Dundonald Church. Yeah. Um, and he just had a desire to go serve God in the Gambia, and it, and it all worked out that he could come with our team, and it was great. We had a great week with Andrew. But again, Andrew, what's um, uh, your favorite memory, something from that week? So it was my first time in the Gambia, uh, coming with these guys. Uh, my favorite memory, I think it was just the culture. The culture was an absolutely wonderful culture to be a part of. So uh, the dinner times, the meal times, and all stay around, mm. as you said, we'd stay around one bowl um, and eat together. So it'd be four or five of us around one bowl. Um, that was really nice, a way of getting to know people, and it was really intimate. Um, so that was my favorite memory, just being yeah. around um, them and sharing meals with them. Yeah, it's great. And then um, for you, how did, how did you see God at work in the Gambia? Um, so it's a largely Muslim population. And so I thought it would be quite a difficult mm-hmm. like, environment to spread the word. There was one conversation we had. Uh, so I, I went to go get some water and I saw the football was on. So I went to the cafe and I sat down and started watching the football. Um, but there was one guy I sat down next to called, I think his name was Alaji Aladon. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure. It's quite hard to understand him. Um, but we just started speaking. And he's like, oh, what are you doing here? Um, I said, oh, we're here to go to a Bible school to encourage them and mm. to spend time with them. And he sort of, he went on a sort of a spiel. I think he was trying to sort of earn my favor or something that I could help him. Um, I did help him in a way, not in the way he was expecting, I don't think. Um, but we shared with him the gospel. So me and yeah. Anthony uh, sat down with him for about probably the first half, so 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, and we just spoke to him, explained the gospel to him. Um, and so there's a real openness to the yeah. gospel there. Even though it's such a Muslim population, there's actually a real openness yeah. um, for opportunities. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Andrew. All right, Sam, come on up. And then, we'll, then James will we'll get you after Sam. Yeah, Sam, same, same question. Be thinking um, favorite memory. Could be serious, could be funny, but favorite memory from your week there. Uh, yeah, I think um, w- what I enjoyed most was uh, living in the accommodation block that uh, has been in the mm. process of being built for the last few years. Um, so the uh, the first year we went out, uh, we were sort of preparing the ground, clearing all the ground, mm. um, digging up, uh, well, I didn't do so much of it, but a lot of the others did a lot of work digging up tree roots, uh, with big tree roots, uh, which was really, really difficult. Um, and then last year, uh, we're moving all the, the foundation bricks to near where it would be built, uh, the accommodation block. And then this year, we got to actually live in the newly built uh, block yeah. with the students. Uh, and I just loved um, like spending time with the students all, all, all the time. We didn't get to do that in previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just sort of turn up to class, and, and there'll be um, yeah, just a, kind of five minutes before and after the, the classes to, to chat. But that wasn't really enough to build any relationship. Um, so I really enjoyed yeah. the relationships this year. Yeah, it's good. And then how did you see God at work in the Gambia? Um, so 
I had so many things. I mean, uh, so House of Wisdom was a big thing for me. So I saw um, how the connection this year between uh, Servants of the Word, which is the, what we're supporting, um, but also the House of Wisdom, how one of the students at the Servants of the Word school um, actually came through from being a Muslim uh, and came through House of Wisdom uh, and then came into So from there. Um, mm. So it was just wonderful to see how yeah, the full kind of, uh, mm. I guess, flow you, you, of you know, someone, how, how they could be supported uh, in a country where you think maybe there's not much yeah. there. Um, you know, opportunities for, for Christian teaching are, are very limited. How on earth would someone uh, coming from such a heavily Muslim culture uh, get the opportunity? Yeah. Um, so it's just wonderful to see that. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. James, same thing. There's a pattern here. Favorite, favorite memory? Uh, I think my favorite memory is uh, after we'd, we were doing an English lesson with, with the students and I was just chatting to one of the students, Tony, um, and he was saying, this was kind of maybe Wednesday or Thursday, he was kind of saying how uh, we've been kind of open with, with them, uh, just kind of sharing our, sharing our, our lives, sharing things. Uh, and he found that that was actually a massive encouragement because they've had other teams with them before and uh, they haven't necessarily been open they haven't been able to have that relationship. So actually that was even encouragement to me to hear that we were being an encouragement in some way, being willing to kind of dive into things. And, and we found that they were kind of open to us. They were sharing things. And, and so it was just it was nice to see that bond yeah. being able to happen over the week. Yeah. And then um, how did you see God at work in the Gambia? Uh, I mean, yeah, so many ways. I think the one that struck me was, I think it might have already been said that the things that they're learning out there are, are just really genuine. Like we, I think there was a talk on Colossians, and we just had kind of a redefine on kind of work. And I thought like they could have come and given the talk on, on work because the stuff they were talking about was was the same. It's the, it's the same gospel. It's the same kind of level of teaching that they're getting out there uh, and that's just a massive encouragement to see that uh, it's not like kind of any worse off or anything it's it's just the same and that's just a real encouragement cool. awesome thanks james great i, I did this a little bit out of order but um so if, if you're unfamiliar with it gambia west africa we are supporting uh, a bible training school called servants of the word or so started by uh, a man named Pastor Stephen. He came from Sierra Leone to the Gambia, realized that there was not a lot of Christian work being done, so he started up some ministries in the universities, and then over the years that led to him forming a Bible training school, which has been in the works for many years. They used to meet at a small location, um, some, some space that wasn't theirs, but the vision has been to create a campus. So they've purchased some land outside of the, outside of the main city, um, and the goal is to build a series of buildings so that they can have a Bible training school, they can teach the students farming, um, they can have a conference center, they can have a library, they can be a resource for Christians who want biblical Christian training in Western Africa. So back behind this is the, the original, the first building, the classroom building, and then here on the right is the second building. This is uh, the dormitory, the accommodation block, um, so you can see some of the doors there. Um, that's the classroom building. You can see kind of off behind it some green area. They're, they're, they're doing farming. So a lot of the, the meals, the food that they have is coming from their farm. Um, they discovered that they have a really good source of water 40 meters down. So they drilled this borehole and they have really amazing like mineral water that they can use. Um, and we drank the water and it was, it was, it was amazing. So they're becoming self-sufficient. They want to be able to um, have a farm, have water, maybe do some solar power, but they want to be a self-sustained, self-sufficient um, campus. 
Uh, here's the classrooms uh, where they have various Bible classes, English classes, um, preaching courses all throughout the day. Here's this, just some of the students we worked with. Pastor Stephen is, is the man on the left. Um, and again, the, uh, right now there's 10 students who are there for a year. So they live on campus for a year, Monday through Thursday, go home on the weekends. But they live there for a year, Bible training, farming um, training, and then they will go back to their villages, back to their homes. Some of them are pastors. Some of them will um, work, go back to their jobs, but now have this biblical training. Some of them are elders or working in their churches. Um, but that's part of the group. And here's some more of the students um, for this first year that we're praying for. Um, and if you notice, there's, there's one female. This is Mary on the right. Um, bless her heart. She, she grew up with brothers, so this works pretty well. But she's the one female among the other nine boys. Um, but she's the one that Sam was talking about. She grew up in a Muslim family, became a Christian, um, got discipled at House of Wisdom, and then through that decided she wanted to know more about teaching the Bible and ministry. And so she's at Servants of the Word. Um, and that's, that's just amazing. So, so one last story. Um, we moved some bricks that looked like this last year, uh, but these are bricks for the future buildings. Uh, they are forward thinking. They are praying hard about God continuing to expand this campus for God's glory. So we're going to continue to support this work and pray for them in that. Um, but I just love this picture because this represents that, that they, they don't know when this building will be built, but they, they made the bricks. They know that God's going to provide in, in, in his time. Things are slow in the Gambia unpredictable but there's the bricks they were there all week I mean, just as a reminder that god is at work and god is good so i, I want to we put together a short little video that will give you um just s some more visual um insight to our week there but thank you so much for um supporting us praying for us many of you um, um sent money towards the trip many of you um prayed for us some of the children at redeemer wrote wrote and drew out some artistic prayers that we took to the christians there um, God is at work in the Gambia as he is all over the world. This is a strategic opportunity for us to continue supporting them and encouraging them. God is doing some great work here in the Gambia. And, and who knows, in generations to come, uh, I think there's just going to be this, like that mustard seed idea where there's this tiny little seed. And then all of a sudden you turn around and it's this amazing giant tree. I think that's what's happening in the Gambia. And years to come, we'll turn around and all of a sudden, whoa, there's more buildings. And then years to come, whoa, there's, there's like 10 more churches than there were just last week. And God's going to use his word, his spirit, to expand his, his kingdom in the Gambia. And so we should be eager to support this and preach the good news there. So let's, let's watch a short video, and then James is going to teach us a Gambian song.
section is Sevens of the world in the Gambia, we are very much happy and grateful to God for you allowing the team, the Redeemer team, to come and, and fellowship with us. It was a very nice time we had together, a very good experience we had together, sharing funds here and there, walking together, and at the same time playing some, uh, having some fun time, learning English together. It was a good time. So we want to say thank you very much. And we ask that you keep us in your prayer. And as we keep you in our prayer, so that we can keep doing what God wants us to do. And we pray that God will help us to be the servants in the vineyard. Not just to be boss over people, but to be servants who will serve his people. Thank you very much and God bless you. I love you. Bye.